You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I suppose there's any number of reasons why people decide to climb mountains. Uh, This past week, my wife and I, we journeyed to a, a pastor's conference, and we decided to take Highway 285 down to Durango, which I thought was a lot of fun. My wife thought it was nerve wracking. Of course, she was the one driving, so. (laughs) Now, I I think that the reason why people see these mountains and desire to climb them is because on top of these mountains, you can witness the grandeur and the beauty of creation. That uh, also, you can tell yourself once you get to the top that I have done something that few people have the courage or the ability to do. But the mountaintops also has an aspect of the cultish that's associated with it. Now, do you suppose that some people climb 14ers so that they can feel closer to the divine or more spiritual? I certainly would not doubt it. The ancient pagans did the same thing. They would sacrifice and erect idols up on the high places in attempts to appease and to discern the will of their silent gods. And then when the Israelites stubbornly ignored God's word, they followed their heathen example and would build altars to Baal on the high places. This is also how Satan wanted to tempt Jesus. Having taken him to the summit of a very high mountain, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. But the mountaintops don't belong to Satan and his demons. They belong to the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And whereas Satan and his demons tempt us to worship creation itself from these mountain heights, or tempt us to think that through ascending them we can come to some sort of unmediated vision of the divine, the Lord redeems these high places by speaking his word a word that accompanies you down into the deepest and darkest valleys of life. And so today, for your sake, Jesus leads you up a mountain of his own. He leads you up through the testimony of his apostles. And upon this mountain, the Father reveals the divine glory of his Son, Jesus, through whom all things were made. Here the radiance of God is bound not to a mountain summit, but to the Word made flesh, and the doctrine that proceeds from His mouth. Here the Father teaches you to listen to Jesus. Now why is it necessary that our Lord lead Peter, James, and John up onto this mountain to hear what the Father has to say about Jesus? The reason is because they were torn between two different doctrines. On the one hand is what Jesus called the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And on the other hand was the difficult teachings of their master, who said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. After hearing this, even Peter, the man who had rightly confessed Jesus to be the Christ. He stumbled. 
And he said, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You see, Peter couldn't fathom or comprehend a Christ who suffers and a Christ who dies. It didn't fit into his understanding of what the Christ should be like. It's kind of funny because despite Jesus' incredible ministry of preaching, healing, forgiving, and feeding thousands, it wasn't ever enough to please the Sadducees, the Pharisees, or even his own disciples. Satan had erected in their minds foreign and human benchmarks. These benchmarks that Jesus had to meet in order to justify and to prove himself to their own minds. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always demanding from Jesus signs from heaven. One more proof. One more sign to show that he really was who he said he was. And against this, Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. It's kind of funny because Peter would indeed receive a sign from the Lord. But it's not the sign when and where he decides. It's according to Jesus' will. And against Peter's uh, desire to stay in this heavenly sign, this heavenly vision of who Jesus is, the Lord had other plans. The Father pointed him back to the sign of Jonah, a sign of death and resurrection that Jesus was teaching them, the very thing that Peter couldn't bear to hear. Now, it's kind of funny because I I think that you and I continue to struggle with the world's demands that Jesus justify himself to us. How often have we heard that the scriptures, Jesus' own words, aren't sufficient for faith, that they need some sort of outside confirmation before they become worthy of our acceptance? How often have people declared to us that they won't believe the gospel until Jesus himself somehow reveals his glory in their lives through some sort of personal sign that meets their satisfaction. And how often have we heard that Jesus' testimony cannot possibly be true because of the reason that he makes his followers, the people who confess his name, to suffer and even to die? The world does have a different standard of what is glorious and honorable. But those things that the world tells us to look up to, the Lord God calls sin and worthy of death. There are two other mountains that are brought to our mind by the gospel lesson today. We we see those two other mountains when we see Moses and Elijah. These are the mountains of Mount Sinai and Mount Carmel. And from these summits, the Lord also manifested his divine glory. But it was a glory that destroyed sinners. When Moses ascended the slopes of Sinai to receive the Lord's commandments, it was shrouded by smoke and fire. Thunder rolled off its cliffs. The people saw it and were terrified. And so also in answer to Elijah's prayer, the Lord's fire fell from atop Mount Carmel and totally consumed the altar that he had built there. In fear, the people fell on their faces and the prophets of Baal were slaughtered. 
Both these examples demonstrate the wrath of God against human standards of glory and honor. Both are examples of what we are going to find if we seek to God's own glory, if we seek His divinity outside of who Jesus is and the word that He speaks. Because outside of Jesus, the word of God is law. It accuses and it kills. But Moses and Elijah aren't there only to remind us of the law. They remind us of the gospel. The promise that a Savior would come who would save us from the destroying presence of God. For the sake of this Christ, the Lord spoke through Moses and Elijah words of forgiveness and of life. Moses didn't only ascend Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. He also received from the Lord instruction to build a tabernacle, a place of sacrifice and forgiveness that foreshadowed a perfect atonement to wash away the stain of sin forever. And so also when Elijah prayed for the Lord to pour down his fire from heaven, he was praying for the repentance and the faith of the Israelites who would witness this great sight. That they would be drawn away from the mountaintops where sacrifices were made to Baal, but instead be drawn back to the temple and to the preaching of God's word. And so when we see Jesus accompanied by Moses and Elijah, we see certainly a divine and radiant man who has come to fulfill both the law and the gospel. But the fulfillment is not yet on this mountain of transfiguration. And though, Peter, we, we might think that it's better to stay here, to remain here in this wondrous sight, the Father has other plans for us. Behold, a bright, bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. No, the Pharisees and the Sadducees may indeed demand signs from heaven. But when the Father finally does glorify His Son in the, in the sight of His disciples, it only points us back to what Jesus has to say. When Peter, James, and John heard this rebuke against the fact that they had not been listening to their Master, they were right to be terrified. They were right to be afraid of dying in the presence of God for seeking to justify Jesus according to their own standards, according to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But then Jesus comes over to them. He touches them. And he says, rise and have no fear. Jesus speaks words of forgiveness and words of resurrection. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus leads you down from the mountain. He leads you down from seeking divine glory on the high places and takes you with him on his journey to Jerusalem, where he will descend into the darkest depths of hell for your sake. Jesus exchanges the Father's glorification for the Father's wrath. 
And in return, He gives you certain and sure comfort that for His sake, you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who forgives you, and who desires to save you, who is willing to give His own Son into death for your sake. How do you know this? It's because Jesus continues to speak to sinners like you and me. He continues to say to us, Rise and have no fear. Rather than having the transfigured glory of Jesus before our eyes, Jesus gives us the glory of His promise of forgiveness, which gives us access to the greater glory of Jesus' resurrection. In time and with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter himself understood this, and he used the transfiguration as an opportunity to point not to the the glory revealed there in and of itself, but to the glory of God's Word, to the Holy Scriptures. And that's why he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now think about that. God has bound his glory not to some mountains or to some other place where you might expect to find it, but instead to the preaching of His Word. And this is the place where the light of forgiveness shines. And so you would do well to remember the Father's words, to listen to His Son, the next time that you look over at the front range or decide to do something crazy like climb a 14er. (laughs) Remember that when you see those majestic heights, That God wants to give you, not this glory, but the glory of His Word, through which you have comfort and peace in the heights of life and even in the very darkest depths of death itself. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace. Amen.